Welcome to The Golden Shadow, the podcast about psychology, philosophy, myth, mysticism, and mystery. My name is Alyssa Polizzi. And I'm Aaron Rogerson. And today we're talking about the concepts of virtue and vice. So Aaron, how do we define these concepts? Virtue and vice, very old concepts, concepts that have been discussed for thousands of years, if not more than that. To put it simply, when we talk about virtue, we are talking about something that we consider to be good. Mm. That's the simplest way to put it. Bias is something that we consider to be bad. Usually we're referring to traits or behaviors, characteristics, Mm. ways of being, um, someone who does what we consider to be a good job or exhibits good behavior or has a great accomplishment that we consider positive. We call them virtuous. Yeah someone who has bad habits, someone we don't like being around us, someone we find to be difficult to work with, all kinds of things you could think of that we could consider to be negative. Um, We call this vice. Mm -hmm. And so today we're trying to explore what do we mean by these concepts and how can we really identify what is virtue, what is vice, and how do we aim perhaps to become more virtuous. So why did we pick this topic? Well, last week we were talking about the big five personality traits. Mm -hmm. And just to remind the audience, this is the acronym OCEAN, which refers to openness to experience, conscientiousness, extroversion, Mm -hmm. agreeableness, and neuroticism. And we broke those traits down into sub-traits. But each trait is scored on a percentile with 0% meaning... In conscientiousness, 0% would mean you are less conscientious than the entire population. And 100% would mean that you are more conscientious than than the entire population. And 50% in conscientiousness would mean that you are average. Yeah. But what's important to illustrate is that a 100% score is not simply good. And a 0% score is not simply bad that what we're really looking for in our personality traits and the way that we um, reconcile different traits with each other um, is balance. Right. And that's what we're trying to get into today. Yeah, we kind of touched on this in episode nine with the big five and especially with the way that that system is designed, you might, if you had a very sort of low resolution understanding of it, think the higher the better, right? Mm Mm-hmm. 80% plus, like, yeah, I'm doing great, 80% agreeableness, 90% agreeableness. When you start to actually contextualize that and frame it against real life, we start to realize that seemingly virtuous qualities can become kind of pathological. Right, if if they're excessive. Yeah. And the, the, um, the valence of traits mm. is what we're trying to get into today. And valence is the term used in psychology to describe the value assigned to a phenomenon. Yeah. Like good or bad. Does it feel good or does it feel bad? That's the valence. And in this context, we're using it to describe traits. Is At what point does this trait, courage, let's say, at what point does courage become excessive mm. and become a vice? Right. At what point does courage become deficient and become a vice? Yeah. And that's the important thing to understand here that's a little bit counterintuitive is, well, courage is always good. Right. Right? Right. But it's not. 
and we recognize this, if if you are excessively cur- courageous, we might call you reckless, yeah. or we might even call you stupid, <laughs> because you might you might believe that you should step forward and take charge of something that you are actually not capable of taking charge of, right. and you hurt yourself. Yeah. And we say, well, that was stupid. Right. That wasn't brave. That was just dumb. Yeah. And similarly, if someone is a coward, yeah, that's more obvious. We say you're deficient in courage. Yeah. And we say that is also vice. Yeah. So too courageous, vice. Right. Not courageous enough, vice. Right. So virtue points <laughs> to something that's in the middle. Right. And I think even within the framework of the big five, we start to see how all of these major traits interplay into each other. Because if you're kind of moving off the, the that sort of middle ground where things are in balance, um, maybe you score high in a certain trait, but maybe another trait kind of supplements that extremeness. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to think about these different traits that you have, whether you're looking at it through the big five or just kind of writing down your own strengths, you know, wh- where do these interplay with the other aspects of your personality? If you're highly courageous, you know, maybe having a little bit of that neuroticism factor makes you second guess and mm-hmm. actually consider what might go wrong. And that, right. that pause, that moment to think things through mm-hmm. can save you from doing something incredibly stupid. Right. So it's not just balance within one trait, yeah. like a balance of courage. What's what's the balanced level of courage? But it's also balancing all traits together, mm-hmm. reconciling all traits. Yes. And that's something we tapped into with the last episode with the big five is that all of these traits are interwoven, mm. interacting, mm. they're they blur into one another. It's not clear where one ends and the other begins. Yeah. Um, and it's not even clear that all the traits really map out all of the totality of one's oneself. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. Certainly not. But um, when you when you have a trait like extroversion, mm-hmm. which is one of the big five, yeah. and another trait, um, assertiveness. Yeah. Sorry. Assertiveness is a subtrait of extroversion. Yeah. And if you combine that with uh, uh, agreeableness, mm-hmm. which is a different trait. Uh, someone who is very assertive, you could say it's a positive thing. Yeah. Someone who takes charge, someone who puts their ideas forward, mm-hmm. someone who wants to um, help make sure a social situation achieves its goals. Right. Or helps um, a, a work situation, a team yeah. at work achieve its goals. Someone who puts, puts themselves forward and takes charge, that's virtuous. Mm-hmm. Um, but if someone is excessively assertive, uh, they might be really difficult to work with because yeah. they're constantly trying to put their foot forward mm. and they want to be in charge and they yeah. want to lead and they, they're always aggressively locking into what it is they think they need or what maybe what the group needs. Yeah. But that person can be sort of extreme. Mm. And if you combine that with a trait, let's say, um, agreeableness and it's very low, if you're right. very disagreeable yeah. and very assertive at the same time, this is the kind of individual that is very uncooperative mm. and yet wants to get their way. Yeah. And the more extreme those traits are, the more assertive you are, the more extreme that is, combined with the more extremely disagreeable you are, you get more and more to this realm of vice. Yeah. What we recognize as being this is not a person that we want to have around. Right. And so balancing these traits together and finding the middle point finding the place just like on a bicycle where you're not too far and you're not too left. Mm. Sorry, you're not too far left and you're not too far right. Yeah. You're balanced. And when you're yeah. balanced, you can go. Yeah. You can move forward. 
and you can get the things you want. That's really what virtue is. And that's really what we mean when we talk about valence. Yeah. Something is good when it's balanced. Right. And something is bad when it's unbalanced. Yeah. It, um, it kind of strikes me that someone could very easily get themselves sort of like wrapped up into looking at a situation saying, well, I'm doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you can look and kind of internally take stock of, you know, well, I'm being strong or I am being compassionate or I am, you know, doing what's best for the group. But when when you look at those things within a vacuum and you don't uh, sort of take the, the subjectivity factor out of it and consider the greater environment or that maybe in one case where your agreeableness is actually uh, appropriate, it's totally not appropriate in another mm-hmm. place. And so it, it requires then this flexibility of personality and flexibility of the choices that you make and, and needing to sort of move through situations or interactions with people, um, knowing that you need to adjust and you need to kind of compensate sometimes. Like, because wherever that middle is, mm-hmm. is constantly changing. Yeah. And um, it depends on the, the, the situation, the conditions, as you're saying. So um, one trait, one, one, a certain level of a trait, let's say, let's say you have a level of agreeableness, how cooperative you are, mm-hmm. how willing you are to be obedient, how willing you are to help someone else get what they need in a given situation. Agreeableness, that might be what we'd say virtuous. We might say that it's good to yeah. be agreeable uh, in a friendship. Mm-hmm. For instance, if, if the relationship is friendly, it's someone that you care about, it's good to cooperate with your friends. Mm-hmm. It's good to, to care about their needs. It's, a good, it's good to cater to what they need. We'd say usually this is virtuous. And obviously that can get excessive and we can get into that. But what, what, if we take a different situation, the same level of agreeableness, let's say, in a job yeah. situation, especially yeah. let's say if you're working with the public, mm. it can be more complicated. Yeah. You can't be completely agreeable if you work with the public, for instance, if, if, if you've worked as a bartender like I have. Mm-hmm. This is speaking personal experience. There's a different balance that, that comes with being cooperative with people yeah. as a bartender yeah. than when you're hanging out with your friends. Yeah. And if you're too agreeable as a bartender, people will take advantage of you. Mm. People will do things like not pay. Mm. People will do things like not tip. Yeah. They, some people will... Um, try to coax you into giving them more alcohol than mm-hmm. they paid for yeah. by appealing to your kindness or um, trying to trick you into saying you didn't pour enough into my drink, yeah, things like that. And you find if you're a bartender that you really need to, to kind of shut people down mm. and be an authority right. and lay down the law. Yeah. And this requires disagreeableness. Mm. Um, and so the, the context shifts. And at one moment, this trait, agreeableness, is virtuous. And then... In another situation, when you're bartending, this trade of agreeableness can become a vice. Right. And that's what's so interesting is if you're finding these balances in all situations. Yeah. In all relationships. Yeah. In in different stages of your life as you as you grow older and you enter a new phase where you go from being a bachelor, let's say, to being a parent. Mm. These traits that maybe were virtuous when you were 15 are no longer virtuous when you're 30. Yeah. And that's uh, this constant recalibration of one's life 
So to further illustrate this point, we are going to draw at random some archetype cards. You might remember them from our episode on archetypes. Um, each of these cards holds uh, some details about the shadow and light attributes. So one might relate that to this sort of vice and virtue that is nested underneath the major archetype. So go ahead, Aaron, draw an archetype card. Yeah, so these cards are interesting because they mostly list things that we consider to be virtuous. And the light side of the card is exploring the virtuous manifestation mm. of this trait or yeah. this archetype or this way of being. And the shadow side is tapping into this notion of excess, mm. the possibility for what we think is a virtuous trait to become vice yeah. purely by becoming too much. Mm. So some of these might be kind of weird. We're pulling these at random. We haven't <laughs> really rehearsed this at all. Uh, so the card I pulled is mother. Ooh, okay. So if we think of being mothering, yeah. being a mother as being something that we consider to be virtuous, yes. which I think is pretty universal. Yeah, there's nurturance. There's this life-giving quality to it, something that kind of holds and sustains um, a creation of something, of some form. Right, the force that creates the world, yeah. basically, that births yeah. the world and yeah. uh, raises it up to a place of strength. Mm. And uh, it's very powerful when we think about it that way. Yeah, yeah. So the, the light side of this, the virtuous side of being mm-hmm. a mother, the card reads nurturance, mm-hmm. patience, yeah. unconditional love, yeah, um, joy in giving birth to life. Mm. So... Everything we just said. Yeah. Virtuous. Good. <laughs> Being a mother is good. Yeah. We need mothers. Yes. Um, but you could be overly mothering. Yeah. Let's say. And that's what these cards kind of tap into, which is interesting. Yes. So if you are an excessive embodiment of being a mother, you mm-hmm. might get into the shadow attributes, mm-hmm. which read on this card, smothering mm-hmm. or abandoning yeah. children. Yeah. Instilling guilt in children for becoming independent. Ooh, yeah. Right, and so this is this is a real thing yeah. that we we see manifested. Yeah. Um, this notion of smothering, spoiling. Yeah. Um, overprotection. Mm. Mothers need to allow to allow their children to grow, and as they grow, to leave the nest. Yes. Yeah. And so it's possible to be overly motherly where you are preventing someone from leaving the nest and becoming independent. Yeah, it's highly important to the development of an individual that they can differentiate from the parental unit, which requires that that which from where they came from, which is the mother, can be seen as separate and not just in this really obvious way of like, I need to leave home, I need to get my own apartment, I need to go to college emotionally. Oh, that's such a big thing to me as well, because sometimes we can still be so dependent on that that nurturance mm. that we fail to sort of uh, lift off into our own power and become our own sort of self-soothing in- individual that you can generate that energy. And not to say that one dismisses the mother or totally cuts it out of their life, but it's it's important for the development of the individual to to break free of that archetypal paradigm. Right. Another aspect of this is it's it's possible to be overly self-sacrificial mm. as a mother. So part yeah. part of the virtuous side of this card is unconditional love. Right. 
you could give yourself away. Yeah, too much. Too much. Yeah. You could exhaust yourself. Yeah. Uh, a mother could deplete herself um, in loving her child mm. and get to a place where she is weakened and collapses and can no longer do her tasks effect- yeah. effectively because she's given too much of herself away. Yeah. And so the mother needs to find a balance in this nurturing, mm. patient, um, loving role. Yeah. And uh, if you don't do that, you can't be a good mother. I like that this one also includes the abandonment, which is kind of like the, um, it's like the other side of the the valence spectrum. Good. Yeah. Deficiency. (laughs) Deficiency. Thank you. Yeah. That is where like the mother has acquiesced all of her responsibility. She's disconnected from that, uh, that, that archetype and, and man, destruction usually comes in its path. Right. Right. All right. Okay, Alyssa's going to pick a card now. Here we go. The judge. The judge. Yes. Okay. The imagery shows an individual with the scales of justice. Mm. A light attributes. Balancing justice and compassion. Managing the fair distribution of power. Mm. So. Fairness. Fairness, yeah. I could say the judge is sort of the arbiter of fairness. And we consider what is fair to be good usually we consider people who are fair to be virtuous Mm. so clearly being this one's i think a little more intuitive but clearly being a judge you can be a good judge yes by making sure everyone gets what they are owed mm. and making sure that people play by the rules yeah providing a structure yeah and almost actually and like it happens kind of like this fatherly yeah yeah um position sure. which is interesting sure. in contrast to the mother which, which we just <laughs> drew but there's there's a good way to be someone who judges yeah but of course as we really talk about pretty often there's a bad way to be judging oh absolutely and here we have for the shadow attribute that offering only destructive criticism or misusing business legal or criminal authority so one who is in power, mm-hmm. one who has the status of the judge, as an example, yeah, y- that power can corrupt. Your morals could be corrupted and very quickly can spiral into that space of vice where it's being misused. Because to me, man, especially like with the judge, I'm, I'm reminded a lot of like the principle of justice and that kind of tarot card where it's like this is the, the universal principle of of equality that does not really take the dynamic of you know the the deeply emotional personal um situation into account but is judging based on truly what is right Mm -hmm. and in that way when the hammer comes down or when the sword swings what what's happening is that it's it's it might be difficult but man it's compassionate because there's probably a lesson there Mm -hmm. so sometimes that judgment feels harsh yeah but it's so needed um right right so people who uh feel judged are often perceiving judgment as being a vice no yeah and that's what it alludes to the shadow side of being being judgmental let's say is like you're being destructive in your judgment or you're being overly harsh and it's not helpful Mm -hmm. or you're making me feel insecure Mm. self-conscious and like that i don't i don't find that helpful um and that's that's how it feels a lot of the Mm. time but it's it's also important to acknowledge the the deficiency vice yeah with the judges if you are someone who is observing um 
a lack of fairness around you mm-hmm. or you're perceiving someone who you think is not behaving appropriately. Yeah. It's virtuous to speak up. Mm. It's virtuous to make your feelings clear that like, yeah. you know, I think that you're kind of out of line here mm. and I think maybe you need to check yourself or I think maybe you need to do a better job. And again, this is kind of counterintuitive, but you know, you can be deficient in judging people mm. and then there, there's no one has any feedback. Yeah. Um, you're not honest about how you feel. Mm-hmm. You might, you might, uh, refrain from speaking your mind to your friends yeah. or in your romantic relationship. Mm. You might feel something's out of line and you say nothing because you think it's virtuous to say nothing. Yeah. But it isn't all the right. time. Or you, may, maybe you even lack the the belief in that what you think is worth saying and worth expressing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and despite maybe it being true that what you have to offer, uh, the judgment, as one might say, that might um, come forward might be difficult for someone to hear. The fact of the matter is it could change something meaningfully. And that judgment often is meant to come to bring things back to order. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that deficiency might come from you even like lacking the quality to be able to value what it is that you have to to, to, sh- to offer to another individual or to a situation. Um, and, and that's unfortunate in my opinion. Okay, next card. All right. I'm picking... <laughs> this is interesting actually yeah these cards are good because okay. it, it's it's definitely pushing us to explore ideas i don't think we would otherwise uh but the card i got is the thief Ooh, okay um and this is good because you might think well how could a thief be virtuous certainly how's that possible yes so we'll try and explore this and find yes. out um the light attribute of this the mm-hmm. virtuous attribute uh let's say is um sheds light on the potential wealth within you hmm. that can never be stolen. Hmm. That's pretty out there. <laughs> um, so so this, this, is, this is saying the light attribute is that you can never be robbed. This doesn't really work for what we're talking okay, about. Let me, let me tell you what I think okay. what came to mind because okay. immediately <laughs> – this is funny. But no, immediately my mind went to uh, the, the archetypal god uh, who – the patron saint of thieves, Hermes himself. Mm. So there's this quickness to him. There's yeah. this mercurial nature of sort of like um, hidden in the shadows, coming out, transformation, transmutation. Mm. Right. And when we think about one who can sort of slip into these places, I don't, know, I don't know. That's kind of what I'm tapping into visually with no, this, this with a thief. Mm-hmm. I I sense that what brings balance there is the ability to to lose that rigidity mm. and to kind of go in a way that might seem a little questionable. Right. But sometimes we we really need to like break whatever framework we're, that we're in and mm. and um. Archetypally, Hermes is very much associated with that. I think that's why he was also adopted into the alchemical tradition and really seen as the kind of patron saint of alchemy. Yeah. Because we need that that sus that 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 core mm. to be able to move and blend and shift and transform. And so to me that's 
that's the archetype of the thief. Right, right. So someone who is um, lurking in the shadows, mm. covert. Covert, yes. Um, hidden, yeah. operating in ways that are, um, again, sneaky, mm. sly. Yeah. But it's like kind of- keeping your cards to yourself, right? You haven't revealed right. your hand. Right, so that can definitely be virtuous. It's um, important to be able to move in this way yeah. in, in the world. It, sometimes you need to kind of lurk in the shadows. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you need to go um, under cover of darkness yeah. in some sense to um, play with an idea you have yeah. or explore something or yeah. feel um, protected as if no one is watching, yeah. embracing this kind of attitude of I am I'm hidden and alone. Mm. Um, we can try the shadow attribute of this. So how, how might you be a, a, a thief that is embodying vice? And this is a little more obvious, yeah. I think. But it says uh, stealing money, <laughs> creative, uh, stealing creative ideas, okay. um, stealing affection. Ooh, wow. Interesting. Um, or other powers you think you lack. Hmm. So yeah, this is pretty, uh, again, pretty psychedelic card, I feel <laughs> like, as far as what this, what this is tapping into. Um, but how would you interpret that? Stealing affection, what does that mean? Man, I, I'm thinking of manipulation, I mm, guess, yeah. is where my mind went when I heard that. Just like, oh, that's loaded. Mm. But someone who really knows how to sneak their way into a situation mm. or use sly of tongue, mm-hmm. you know, hidden words, subtle influence yeah. to kind of rope a situation to going a certain way or to steal the affection of somebody mm-hmm. maybe because they just want it and they don't actually care that much. Mm. That seems pretty shadowy to me. Yeah. There's also the, uh, the archetype of like Robin hood, I think, which is like oh, the, yeah. the, the hero thief, yes. which uh, I think is an, another aspect of this is that it, it's possible that we could view stealing as being okay yeah. or being good yes, yes. Um, as Robin hood, yeah. um, redistributing yeah. wealth yes. or, um, yeah. making sure things are fair. Yeah. Uh, if, if something is being withheld from someone who needs it. Yeah. So that's, um, another aspect of this. That's a bigger conversation though. Let's try another card. All right. One more. The femme fatale. The femme fatale. Okay. This should be interesting. All right. So we are looking at the light attributes as someone who highlights the erotic energy of the feminine Opens your heart when your dependency is rejected. What do you think, Arn? Read it again. Highlights the erotic energy of the feminine. Opens your heart when your dependency is rejected. Well, if this is tapping into feminine sexuality, sure, in some yeah. sense, initially, this is—I don't know. This is kind of a charged topic <laughs> to explore, maybe, but. Uh, we'll do it anyways. Um, I think it, it's we we have a pretty um, established conversation about the way that male sexuality can become vice. Mm. Um, I think we talk a little bit less about how female sexuality can be vice. Yeah. Um, but uh, the feminine principle is one of passive, receptive, sure, sort of yeah. letting things come to you. Yeah. Um, operating more in the unconscious realm, mm. 
as far as romantic interaction goes, uh, the, the feminine energy. And again, this doesn't necessarily speak to females specifically as much yeah. as it speaks to this sort of notion of feminine energy, yes. which is present in both sexes. Um, but wedding things come to you mm. operating in a sort of like unconscious, more sort of hidden way. One that's a little more sort of in, in, intuitive, mm. less rational. Yeah. Um, that kind of energy can lead to manipulation. Yeah. The, the kind of stereotypical, uh, being led on mm. that males often, experience yeah. or report at least they yeah. feel as if they're being let on mm. they think something romantic is happening but it's not actually happening um you know again this is slightly controversial but definitely women are capable of using their sexuality to get what they want yeah certainly and to manipulate situations to yeah. go the way they want yeah. and they have no intention of having a romantic relationship yeah. or even having a romantic uh, interaction or even a sexual interaction yeah. at all but they can wield their feminine sexuality to sort of turn the energy um, yeah. towards getting what they want in yeah. a way that men find more difficult to do. Right, because the, the, the general masculine version of that is a much more um, kind of active, powerful principle where one is sort of taking control of a situation or authority or something like that. We're just dealing with very different sort of universal principles of expression of power mm. and, um, and, and a sort of, of, of influence. And so this feminine principle is about tapping into something that's a little bit more subtle. And with that comes the seduction, right? Mm -hmm. That kind of like oozes off the the feminine archetype in that way. And it's like, whoa, I'm getting hooked in versus mm -hmm. like the masculine principles, like loud and obvious. And you're drawn to it kind of like, you know, a moth to a flame or something like that. So the, the feminine principle is certainly tapping into that often sexual energy um, to, to express that because it is, it is part of the experience just mm -hmm. as the, 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 the life energy that we all, um, have access to that, that libido obviously known in its very obvious sexual form yeah. contains other aspects, but at the same time, that sexual energy is potent. We think about it a lot in our society. So much of our culture is based around sex appeal sexual relations, mm. romantic relationships. It's just a core part of who we are. Yeah, I mean, you could say all of all of human behavior is actually focused around sex. Yeah. It, Depending it, on how you look at it, but <laughs> it is it's clearly something we, we consider to be sacred mm. in a very serious way, yeah. even though that kind of that wording might seem strange to people. Yeah. But it's it's true. We, we really have sex as this very flashy, very core thing that we're constantly circumambulating mm, kind of circling mm. around it yeah. always there yeah absolutely there's always tension there with sex yeah it's kind of it's, it takes a lot of work to get to a place where you're not gravitating around sex i would yeah. say um to sort of continue to flesh this out um i feel like the femme fatale allows an expression especially for women to feel comfortable in themselves which is inherently then your physical beauty or your inner power or inner beauty it's it's this this deeply expressive um act of your nature and your spirit mm -hmm. and because to me it's like the femme fatale isn't really who she is unless she's deeply grounded in her being mm -hmm. that she's courageous in her expression and that makes an individual like 
sexy that mm-hmm. makes an individual seem compelling and interesting and um, sort of like anecdotally speaking, I feel like in recent like year or so, I've had what I've written down in my dream journal as femme fatale dreams, which I'm not necessarily going in there and just like knocking heads and like wooing men necessarily, but there is this undercurrent of like feminine sort of power and, 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 and comfort that I feel in this dream. And they're not just like centered around sex or something like that. Although I'm moving through these sort of dream scenes with this sense of that, whatever that femme fatale is. So to me, I think it just, it's, it's an expression of a powerful woman. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that that, yes, it highlights that sort of erotic feminine and the sexual feminine. Um, but her, her ability to kind of like come in and own a room has a lot to do with it, with more than just the, the sexual nature as well. Right. Sex is definitely more than just pee in the magi, right? It's, yeah. I mean, it's, it really leaks into what our, our behaviors and yeah. dancing is sexual. You oh, know? yeah. And having, <coughs> excuse me, uh, conversations can be very sexual yeah. in the sense of sort of this interpenetration of personality. Yeah. Or, which is why, you know, people often consider someone to be cheating on them just by talking to someone mm, else. And right. So sex is much bigger than just this biological, yeah. physical thing happening. Yeah. The shadow attributes on this card speak to the inappropriate use of sensuality or attachment to money and power. Hmm. Um, and at least with the the aspect of the inappropriate use of sensuality, I think you were kind of touching upon that a little bit. And I think it's part of the power of the feminine principle to feel sensual, to feel connected, to feel seen. And we get that in its most platonic form through the mother, as we talked about earlier. Mm. But that that develops and informs how we connect to the feminine principle in different ways. And so when the femme fatale is using this in a way to connect to other individuals and they understand the, the power and influence that comes from someone feeling seen and heard and that sensual sort of connection, which might not really pass the threshold of an erotic nature, it still can really mess people up. Mm-hmm. So that that kind of aspect of the shadow of the femme fatale is just like she needs to be careful how she wields that. She needs to be careful of the impact it has when she connects to another person because right. it can really give um, the wrong impression. Yeah. And again, that what you just said speaks again to the idea of the balance. Right. Right. This energy, is it good or bad? It's right. like, well, it's neither. It's it's how do you wield it? Right. You, know, you want to wield it in a balanced way. Yeah. This could be a much bigger conversation. Maybe we need to do a podcast episode on sexuality. Definitely. The feminine and the masculine. I think it'd be interesting. Yeah, it would. Inappropriate for our current era, you mm-hmm. might say. Let's do another card. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. So as two have been very interesting, <laughs> but they've also been maybe a little more uh, abstract. Mm. Hmm. This is interesting. Okay. Liberator. Ooh. So someone who liberates sounds virtuous, right? Certainly does. Sounds like a, a good thing. <laughs> someone who frees people, mm-hmm. someone who provides power and agency to other individuals. Yeah. Um, the light attributes on this card are freeing yourself and others 
from outmoded beliefs. Mm. Interesting way to phrase it. Um, Releasing negative thought patterns. So again, freedom, freeing yourself, freeing others, being someone who lifts others up to Mm. a place of agency and power so they can actually get what they want, so they can be people, so they can be adults. Yeah. And that can happen in a very, you know, a very explicit physical way. You Mm. could um, break someone free, literally, out of shackles and free them. Or you might um, have a friend that you help empower to get to a place where they become more independent and can live their life in a beneficial way. Yeah. Um, So that's all pretty intuitive. The shadow attributes of this card how the liberator might become a vice, mm. let's say. Um, imposing your own tyranny over those you claim to liberate and ignoring legitimate constraints. Wow. That's heavy. That's heavy. That's heavy. Um, the uh, imposing your own tyranny yeah. over those you claim to liberate yeah. is sort of embodying a false liberator yeah, yeah. taking the taking the uh, mantle of liberator and misusing it and pretending as if you are freeing people mm. when in fact you are doing the opposite yeah i'm like thinking a lot of like cult leaders that's right. what comes to mind yeah. right it's yeah. like <laughs> this person is walking around with some sort of narrative and man that's like really key to like that archetypal power is Mm. the 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 narrative that everybody has bought into Mm. and in this case it's like spiritual liberation often um liberation from the material world you know it's, it's it's always like coded in some sort of like kind of uh I don't know, like trans dimensional dynamic. I think when we start to deal with like the, the, the cult leader, because it's some way for you to break out of your, this earthly existence and, and you throw so much of your agency and power away, you give it to this liberator. Hmm. And then what happens? Well, they're basically a false God. Yeah. And, and often it ends in disaster. Mm-hmm sometimes death sometimes uh, like extreme abuse things yeah. like that um so there's a there's a very you know historical way to look at this idea too which is is that the the revolution Ooh. that's like freedom mm. that's, there's there's plenty of examples throughout history of, of revolutions happening which yeah. which yeah. Uh, happen under the um pretext that we are freeing the people mm. let's say but Revolutions are often followed by a reign of terror, yeah. or they're they're mm-hmm. followed by breaking free of your, um, let's say constraints, mm-hmm. the things that are that are holding you down, yeah. the things that are oppressing you, let's say. But that leads to this chaos that you were not anticipating. That right. actually leads to less freedom yeah. because it's you return to a place of war yeah. and yeah. Um, bloodshed and. Right. Uh, you can go backwards just as far as like technology, quality of life. Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, communist revolutions, I would say, kind of speak to this mm. of um, freeing the people, mm. but then arriving in some place that's actually less free. Yeah. So that's that's a more complex thing to unpack. I think that's that's where my instinct goes. I think the the, the second part of this I, I find interesting, which is more generalized. This sort of excessive 
liberation mm. is uh, ignoring legitimate constraints. Yeah. So l- the liberator re- breaks away the order mm-hmm. to free people. Yeah. But you can naively believe that any order is bad because it constrains you. Yeah. And so you break the order down and you free yourself of it. Yeah. And that actually just leads to chaos. Yeah. Anarchy. Right. Even even in the sense when I think the ideals are coming from this like utopic mindset, mm. there was like a reason utopias don't exist. This right. idea that we can liberate ourselves from um, how money controls us, how government controls us, you know, relationship dynamics, how mm. those like, let's just be free. Yeah. Let's just have everything be open. Right. It's so obvious. Right. Why, why don't we just be free? Like, yeah. Life would be better for everyone. Right. And that's I- ignoring that structure provides protection. Yeah. Provides yeah. the ability to, um, achieve goals that mm. otherwise wouldn't be there. It's like building, um, building a railway system or a road. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is, this is ordering your environment, but think of all the right. things you can do with a road. Yes. Think of all the places you can go. Yeah. Um, and the idea of like, well, the road is order. Let's just destroy it. Right. So you can't get anywhere now. And so, yeah. so there, there is this interaction of freedom and chaos mm. sort of kind of going together and order and tyranny kind of going together. Yeah. This is speaking to, and the liberator needs to be careful and find a balance in that. Yeah. And not be deficient or excessive. Now it's time for a question from the audience. This is from Julio. What do you think of lucid dreaming? You talked about our ego not being part of our dreams. So what is the me that controls the dream? Can this type of dream be analyzed the same way as normal dreams? Great question. And I think this brings up something probably people do feel confused about because we recognize in dreams that the me, the ego that we interact with on the everyday waking life is certainly not present in dreams. You do not have the same autonomy, the same power, the same awareness. So often, especially from the sort of depth psychology um, lens, we consider that the you that is in the dream is the dream ego. So it's like a variation of of the you that you know when you wake up every morning. Um, it, right. it so helps this, this continue is, that continuity. Right. So this is, he, he's saying that we said there was no ego in the dream mm. and he's, he's alluding to the dreams episode yes. in which we discussed what dreams were mm-hmm. or speculated what dreams were. You yeah. might say. Um, and we made the point that the, the ego, the autobi- autobiographical I, yeah. the, the thing that thinks it's in charge, mm-hmm. the thing that's sort of like experiencing waking life yeah. in some way that sort of dissipates. Yeah. Um, in dreams and the unconscious is allowed to sort of take over mm. but not completely yeah right definitely and, um, it's interesting because he, he makes a good point the lucid dreaming there there is still an eye yeah it's still autobiographical yes and you are navigating reality yeah your dream reality yeah but it's not quite the same no L- lucid dreaming is never really the same as waking life or yeah just you know the way it might be depicted in like a or yeah. something like that where you can't tell which is real and what's right. not real. It's like, no, it's like dreams just 
qualitatively are very different than waking life. Yeah. And I think that you can differentiate, you know, the ego that's present in dreams versus the one that's alive in everyday life. Because if you're dreaming about being, um, you know, on a mountain in Peru, you're not like, Holy, hold on. I went to bed in California. What's right. going on here? Mm-hmm. But if, if you suddenly like kind of turned your head and found yourself in, in a jungle, you'd be like, uh, what the hell just happened? Yeah. So that, you that just start screaming. <laughs> yeah. That, that continuity that you need in everyday waking life, that the, the, that function that the ego performs is definitely not the same, mm-hmm. but there is a version of you the part of you that allows yourself to awaken and remember, you know, the the unconscious dynamic is not fully lost on you. Something's been impressed upon your psyche. Mm-hmm. So I like to call it dream ego. I see it referred to that as well. The drigo. The drigo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it, you can just think of it as um a kind of avatar of yourself. It's a little bit different. It's somewhat similar. And I think especially to continue this conversation around lucid dreaming, which is that you're much more aware. Um, You're not fully awake. Obviously, you haven't ended the dream, although sometimes that can happen when lucidity really kicks in. But to me, when, when when a dreamer becomes more lucid, the 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 real ego the active everyday ego is way more present than the dream ego and mm. i don't really know what's going on honestly in lucid dreaming but no to i mean me- no one does <laughs> yeah we, we, we pretend we talk we, especially all of psychology really yeah it's all speculation you know it's scientific it in some the, sense. it's the best they can do the best we can do we, we you know we, we we can perform studies but a lot of these things we're discussing especially with dreams it's like yeah. we can't really say what's happening or yeah. why we're just sort yeah. of like putting forward theories yeah and it's interesting to talk about it but it's never it's never black and white the idea that the, the ego is here when you're awake and when you're asleep it's gone mm-hmm. that's very either or yeah and it's, it's just it doesn't work that way it's much more gray than yeah. that there's something more complex than just the notion of like ego here ego gone right it's like mm, not really it's not, it's not that simple yeah. um another way that I, th- I like to think of lucid dreaming that i think is interesting to think about is uh if if waking life is um your unconscious constructing reality all the time birthing reality like putting forward what's happening Mm -hmm. as you pick it up and the ego is somehow um overseeing this construction of reality Mm. the the, the dreamscape is one where reality is being constructed but in a vacuum Mm. and all your senses are absent all, all these sensory information is absent um in some sense the ego is just in a vacuum, yeah, and that the vacuum of memory, even the vacuum of awareness, vacuum of awareness. Uh, so the lucid dreaming is tapping into this notion that there's some sort of construction of reality going on, yeah. Um, but the ego, something is pouring in that resembles memory mm. or sensory perception, and the ego is kind of getting a more of a grip. On what's happening yeah almost trying to like thrust itself out back into the 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 white mm. like um emerge from unconsciousness yeah. the ego is trying to poke its head out yeah. of, the, of the waters of unconsciousness yeah. and kind of start breathing again mm. and then usually quickly just gets sucked under again yeah. and yeah. you return back to this place of not realizing what's happening yeah 
Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, I believe in part of that question was asking if you can analyze them similarly. Right, and I think, right. yeah, still definitely, even though um, there might be a different dynamic in a lucid dream where there are certain elements that are mm -hmm. more under your control, things you're shifting, ultimately like the the playing field and the stage is, is made up of that unconscious content. And there's a lot that you can do to sort of strip down and look at the layers of your symbolic um, representations in that. So it's worth still looking into and analyzing. Do you have a question for us? Do you have a dream you'd like us to analyze? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover? We want to hear from you. Contact us through a submission form, which can be found on our Instagram page at Golden Shadow Podcast. Or if you're listening on YouTube, you can find the link in the description down below. Thanks for listening. See you later. If you find this podcast useful, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash golden shadow podcast. Thank you.